Who are we? And what does our life mean anyway? Those are big philosophical questions. And I can't answer those, so I'm not going to try. But what I can answer, though, or at least what I can give you some semblance of understanding about, is where and how humans came to be. In this particular set of stories, we're going to begin tracing the origin of human civilization, watching the rise of humans from, from the plains and the, and the fields of Africa as they spread out across the world and begin to build cities as we move from early man into the Bronze Age period. We're going to look at the inventive and creative ways in which humans begin to reshape their world and to try to gain mastery over their environment. We're going to look at how we came to be and how these first ideas actually came into circulation. So buckle up and join me as your whispering wizard as I walk you through the exciting tales of history. Episode 1. Neanderthals develop tools. Necessity is the mother of invention. Plato. How did we get here? Well, if you've ever asked that question, you have certainly joined the chorus of historic voices across time and space. Humans have been asking that for quite a long time. For the modern world, and for our particular story, we're actually going to begin in a weird place. We're going to start with a naturalist who spent a strange amount of time with butterflies. I kind of don't get it. Like, hey, butterflies aren't that interesting, but he liked them. And uh, he liked to examine butterflies, birds, turtles, and this bookish nerd with a protruding forehead, a large brow, receded chin, and the Elton John-looking cough on his head is known to us as Charles Darwin. Now, good old Charlie Darwin was only 22 when our story begins, and he was aboard the SS Beagle. I'm not going to tell you much about that, but if you take my world history too, I'll fill you in with a little more details. But he stumbled upon an extraordinary set of findings that ended up kind of revolutionizing history in a really big way. It also galvanized religious opposition, but that's also another story for another time. Now, Darwin had really tried to answer a critical question floating around Europe, something that he didn't come up with, but he certainly brought a lot of clarity to from about 1836 to 1858, he spent a lot of time working and fleshing out this new theory, this new idea. But he was kind of quiet about it. And there was good reason to be quiet about it, because this kind of thing can really change things up. And so he, uh, he found out that another naturalist named Alfred Wallace had actually independently discovered the same idea and was about to publish. So Darwin moved to publish quickly. And he published a book called The Origin of Species and the Theory of Evolution as we know it was born. So how do you start a story about where everything came from? Well, I'm not interested in going over the natural history of the planet because that would take too long and that would really be outside the subject of what I'm doing. I'm a social studies teacher, so therefore I teach about, you know, social stuff. So let's start off with the uh, death of the dinosaurs. That's a nice place for us to begin. We know for about 175 million years, dinosaurs ruled the planet. They filled niches. They fought over resources. They essentially did, you know, stuff that dinosaurs do. I don't even know what dinosaurs do, but whatever they do, that's what they were doing. So about 65 million years ago, their rule over Earth came to a shocking and abrupt end. Dinosaurs did not have a lot of foresight. They had never developed a space force to take care of like asteroids and space junk. They really dropped the ball there, and Earth got pummeled massively by asteroids. This hit the planet into kind of a chaos mode. If Earth's orbit is just a little wobbly, that can certainly affect uh, the climate, right? You can certainly imagine with the 
plummeting of uh, asteroids to Earth. That it also led to lots of volcanic eruptions, other types of natural disasters. So it was somewhat of a mess, but somehow, magically, mystically, your ancestors and my ancestors are thought to have survived. Now, the most important question is not how they survived or what they did, but it's the most important one that humans are always going to ask. What did they look like? That, after all, isn't a big question. This handsome little character was about the size of a shrew, so not very big and probably looked something similar to a shrew or a little bit like a rat. I mean, I don't want to... I don't want to get offensive here and say your ancestors were rats, but, you know, it wasn't very far off. Now, this little guy was small, but uh, he was going to need to do some big changing because there were a lot of niches that were left due to the disappearance of the dinosaurs. And that's exactly what's going to happen. Well, not he's not going to do it by himself. You know, other things are going to go on too. But we'll get to that in a moment. So the thing about evolution is that it doesn't work very quickly. It takes a pretty long time. We think about modern humans and how they sprung up and how they came to be, but this process would have taken a very, very long time. The first primates are thought to have existed some, somewhere around 55 million years ago, and they're not very big. They're quite small, in fact. They look a little bit like, uh, like smaller than a lemur, which you might see at the zoo, or maybe around the size of a tamarind. So this takes a while for our species to even begin to slowly come into focus. And it wasn't until about 4.4 million years ago that the modern human began to actually uh, come into focus and take shape. Now, human beings and monkeys began to split off at this particular point in time. Now, some of you guys are saying, we can't be that far off. I mean, you might be thinking, my brother, for example, uh, I have questions about his genetic material because he certainly acts like today's forest dwellers. Well, it may be true that your brother does act like a forest dweller, uh, but the fact remains that, comparatively speaking, the gap is wide enough to cast doubts, even if his actions say otherwise. The first character that was discovered was a creature known as Australopithecus. This is a big fancy word. It means southern ape man. If you could see it, the striking similarity to the chimpanzee might cause you to kind of scratch your head. The skull shape, the size, and brain organization are pretty much identical. How do we know that? Well, because archaeologists have this tool they can use. They take like a clear film and you put it inside the skull and you pull it out and you're able to get a sense of what the brain was like based on, you know, whatever imprints left in the skull. It's called an endocast. Pretty cool. So the skull shape, size, and brain organization are, again, pretty much similar to the chimpanzee. It has no sweat glands or slip hips or sophisticated things like a modern human would have. But it does have a femur bone that just isn't quite right for a chimpanzee. It's very distinct. It seems to suggest that we're beginning to see the moment in which humans become bipedal. And if you don't know what bipedal means, that means walking on two feet as opposed to walking on all fours. Now, the, the line of Australopithecus is quite long, and we could go through and talk about gracile and robustus. It could be kind of crazy. I'll talk about the three, I think, which are kind of important to us and to our story. First, there is Australopithecus artipithecus ramidus. Now, I don't want to say that again, so I'm just going to call this dude Rami. So Rami's thought around 5.8 to 4.4 million years ago, this species is thought to have existed again probably the oldest hominid fossil, and a little more like a chimpanzee. And we're not entirely sure that this creature wasn't more or less exactly like a chimpanzee. That is, it was mostly a tree dweller, and we're not even sure whether it could walk upright. There's just not enough of the remains of this creature to really 
kind of get any real answers about that. But we do know, or at least we think, that at some point another species emerges called Anamensis. Anamensis is a little bit different. Anamensis exists from about 4.2 million years ago, so right as Artipithecus rhombinus is dying, Anamensis begins to come into focus. And uh, this guy was quite a looker. I mean, a prominent oversized nose, crude bipedal shin bone, it's definitely oldest. And it could in, obviously walk upright. But there's a lot of questions about this character. Some, some archaeologists are very adamant that Anamensis is its own distinct species, but there are some in anthropology who say Anamensis doesn't exist, that Anamensis is actually the next one I'm going to talk about. It's just a real bad distorted skull of, the, of this particular species. So they were, this species is referred to as Australopithecus afarensis, which at this point at least traditionally we date between 3.8 to 2.9 million years ago. This is the next link in the chain. This big-nosed ape had a big, mixed set of chompers that had some kind of human-like and simian-like features. But it wasn't the teeth that really astounded us. It was the gait, the femur, that really set this little gal apart. Oh, that's right, you heard me. The biggest find was about 40% of a female in history known to us presently by the name of Lucy. In 1974, paleontologists, one and only power couple, and how paleontology even has a power couple, I really don't know. I mean, it's kind of nerdy. But in any event, they were uh, they found a fairly extraordinary find in modern-day Tanzania where archaeologists and anthropologists have postulated all humans basically came from. And they, this magnificent beast, they named her Lucy because at the time, that was the popular song on the radio, was the Beatles new hit, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. Lucy was a traditional Australopithecus, at least what was left of her. Now, since her find, of course, she's been put in a museum, and she's had some cosmetic work done, possibly liposuction. Uh, don't bring it up. If you happen to run into her, she's kind of sensitive about it. Nevertheless, she belonged to a family of Australopithecus that I talked about. It was known as Afarensis. Lucy wasn't very tall, about three and a half to four feet tall, so definitely not somebody you want on your basketball team. Uh, maybe a good wrestler, though. I don't know. Possibly. Uh, she had a cranial size, textbook size, the modern-day chimp. Again, not a big surprise there. But what makes Lucy so special? It was her femur bone. Eh, it's not a thing you think of, right? There's a striking similarity to the anatomical structure of modern people. This means that Lucy might have grunted and scratched and bit, made other noises like a chimp. But when she walked, she worked it like a runway model. So things go along with the Australopithecus, and there's a number of different species and transformations that take place. But as Lucy, or as Afarensis, is beginning to kind of fade out, a new kid shows up on the block, okay? And around two to three million years ago, a new branch emerges from the evolutionary tree. It's classified by the Latin name Homo. Now, Homo is a really big fancy word. It just means man, okay? Now, this, of course, this includes women, so it's not a terribly accurate name. But this is where we get the word hominid from, or sometimes you might see hominoid. All that roots out of that word, man or mankind. Now, homo is where people and chimps went two different directions. So your brother is not a chimp, once again. I want to reemphasize that. Luckily for us, this new species has a much bigger brain, which isn't saying much since it's still a little less than half the size of the modern human's brain size, so not big. But big brains is not the only thing that changed. Fully opposable thumbs become all the rage. Used for a lot of things, like peeling bananas and making tools, 
playing video games in your cave all day or in your tree. Uh, they stopped walking on all fours as well. Now that's a big question, why? We know Australopithecus could walk somewhat upright, but we're not sure that they didn't sometimes still use their hands. But at this point in time, um, this particular species of Homo definitely walked on uh, two legs. This was a bipedal species. Well, there's a couple reasons why maybe they, they stopped walking on all fours. For example, they lived in Africa, the grass is tall. Maybe it's advantageous to be able to stand up and see the lion coming at you uh, a long way off than to not be able to see exactly where it's located. So that could be one reason. And so allowing them to scout for lions, it also is a possibility that they uh, they stay cool. Okay, that's another thing. Uh, it's a little little cooler when you get up out of the grass and get a little wind blown on you. I don't know. What I do know is that they worked those opposable thumbs seriously. They were making hammers and anvils and cutting tools and you name it, they were doing it. So the first of the species we know as Homo habilis. There's we could talk about a number of these and, and go into detail, but we're going to just kind of pick cherry pick some of these that we think are important along the human development, okay? So the first one of these is found in Olduvai Gorge and surprisingly in Tanzania around the same place we find Australopithecus afarensis. And we call this one habilis. Now habilis is just basically akin to able or ability, or we might say uh, handyman or tool man. This species again dates from about 2.4 million years ago at the end of the afarensis period and goes to about 1.6 million years ago. So actually not a real long lifespan for a species in consideration to some of the others. Now, while you might not want to turn this species loose on fixing your sink, and they were certainly short enough, uh, they stood about four foot three on average. They had a pretty odd gait, which made them walk a little bit with a shuffle. Nevertheless, they did make tools, okay? and they still lived or spent at least some of their times in the trees. And they were not fierce hunters. We always think of our ancestors as mighty hunters with great spears. But in this period of time, your ancestors would not have been mighty hunters with spears. In fact, they were scavengers. So what they did was they let, they stole their food probably from dumb, lazy, stupid cats. So cats would go out, hunt, hang their prey over the tree, fall asleep, go somewhere else. And the habilis would come in and steal it. That's what happens when you fall asleep. Watch your stuff. The cats would get outsmarted. And they would use the tools they made, which were mostly, mostly made out of stone. I mean, except for the ones they bought at Sears Roebuck. But other than that, the rest of them were made out of stone. And they would crack them open and eat the marrow out of them. Now, Havilis had this prognathic face, which is a really fancy word to say. It just poked out everywhere. You ever seen someone like that? It was a big, big face. Okay. Uh, large orbitals, which are basically like the, the little area right above the eye that protrude out those orbitals. What we call orbitals, okay? And they had a, a pretty low brow, so not a huge forehead. The molars were, were small. And they had something else. It was position of the foramen magnum. So if you're looking at the bottom of a skull, particularly a, a skull like a chimpanzee, there's the hole that connects the chimpanzee's um, brain to the spine uh, on, the, on the skull is a little farther back. That's why a chimp's head kind of sits out. When you go to the zoo, you see it kind of sitting there and the head is hanging out, even when it's in relaxed mode. But ours is sit like that. If you're sitting, your head is kind of straight up uh, and down. There's no big protrusion of your, of your head outward. And that's because you have the hole that connects to your spine and your brain. Uh, that hole is that's what we call the foramen magnum, which is a really great insult. It literally means big hole, foramen magnum. Again, big fancy Latin word. 
And this particular creature, Habilis, was not like a chimp in the way that its head connected to, its spine connected into the skull. It was very much like a modern human. So it would have walked and you wouldn't have seen that kind of chimp looking head hunched forward. It would have looked a little bit more like our own. Other than that, pretty small creature. All right, let's move on. Now, what kind of tools did, did this, these guys make? Well, you know, I mean, they weren't like uh, really amazing, but I guess for the time, they, they did the job. They had, the, they had like stone choppers was something that they used, and also later on, other species will use the stone chopper, which is something they use to sharpen or to, you know, flake off and build other tools with. Another is, you can look this up online too, Google it, is the hammer stone found in ancient China. It was used to sharpen tools like the hand axe, and that brings me, of course, to, in fact, the hand axe. We find a lot of these as far as from Africa and we find them in Europe and Asia. This is pretty common and it seems like whenever the next species spreads out they take the idea of the hand axe with them and they certainly improve on it. And this begins a period known as the Paleolithic period. Paleolithic means old stone age. The word paleo is again fancy word for meaning old. Uh, it's another way you can say to someone you know you're getting so paleo these days. That, that might be softer than the you're getting old. Uh, lithic means stone. Okay, so old stone age begins around 25 million years ago, goes to about 12,000 years ago, where there's a huge change, what we call the Mesolithic, which is a very short period. And then about 10,000 years ago, we began the Neolithic period. And the Neolithic period means neo meaning new. So you can do the math, new stone age. So these are not, these all these big fancy terms, they, they have really simple meanings, how that works usually. Now, of course, Species does undergo some change, and the branch of genus emerges and branches into a brand new one. It lives simultaneously with Habilis. So things move along pretty quickly, and this creature, again, that lived with Habilis emerges known as Homo erectus, which means upright man, because it stood definitely stood straight upright. Species was one of many that migrated out of Africa very early on and began the process of moving around the globe. It wasn't alone. There was another species known as Ergasta, Homo ergasta, was also connected with the same movement. Now, Erectus is probably and most definitely an ancestor to modern humans, but the path to track that is actually a little more difficult and tricky than you might think. We're not going to try that. So what was Homo erectus like? Well, for one thing, they stood straight upright, and their gait would have been very much like a modern hominid. So you could have went to the dance; they would have stepped on your toes, you know, often. Uh, but they uh, they definitely uh, they definitely were probably maybe just a little clumsy. Who knows? We can't be for certain on that. The size and shape of the skull is near, but not quite the range of modern day humans. But it's it's well within it's well within the basic range of like the smaller end, if you will. And they were smart. In fact, they gave the world fire. So if, uh, if you want to know, if you run into Billy Joel and anytime soon and you're trying to answer the question, who started the fire? Well, Homo erectus did. So now we know. The face is far less prognothic. It, it kind of moves in. The orbital lobes, though, are kind of similar. So right above the eyes, those big bones there, those are still pretty common. Still has a pretty low brow. And they didn't have much of a forehead. Otherwise, the molars are rounded, resembling the teeth found in modern humans with some similarity. So erectus is not exactly like us, but erectus is pretty close. Now, that brings me to my Mad History headline. Homo erectus is not the only one that branched out across Asia and Europe. There was yet another branch of the human family, known as Homo floresiensis. They found their way to the island of Flores in Indonesia. 
The branch has been commonly dubbed by archaeologists as, quote-unquote, the Hobbit. They stood only about three foot six, but they were able to cross the island because there was an ice age, so a large ice bridge happening at the time. The creature was found with common stone tools and had the brain about the size of a grapefruit. Maybe you know someone like that. Probably do. So it's about a third the size of our own brain. You, you might be thinking at only three foot tall, they might just be little kids from the period, but you would be wrong about that. The heavy wear on their teeth indicate this creature is definitely a full-grown adult and did a lot of eating. Plus, the big, the big flat feet was a giveaway. I would just love to know if those flat feet were also hairy. Who knows? Whether it was genetically fated to be the size of a hobbit or whether they were deformed or malnourished, it is unknown. Unfortunately, no DNA from this creature has remained. They died out about 50,000 uh, years ago. So sad. And now we finally arrive at the moment we've been waiting for, the birth of Homo sapiens. It was a long time of coming, but about 250,000 years ago, a new species emerged back in Africa. This species was called Homo sapien, or wise man. And another species that also grows pretty strong is one known as Homo neanderthalus, which we're going to talk about in just a moment. Now this species, neanderthalus, uh, and uh, was began to live in Europe, and of course we follow behind them, not terribly long behind them. And the new species uh, begins to slowly emerge about 50,000 years ago, one that's very similar to the guy that you know real well, the person you look at in the mirror every morning, the guy or the gal, I should say. In that particular case, this one is called Homo sapien sapien, which is better than being a Homo sapien. Homo sapien means wise man. So Homo sapien sapien means wise, wise man. Yeah, that's what we're talking, that's what I'm talking about. So. This was the point our ancestors start to branch out of Africa. They start to pour into other places around the world. Now, Homo sapiens, of course, were moving out into the Middle East much sooner, uh, but they begin to emerge there and, and kind of go everywhere. So the Middle East, about 100,000 years ago, then about 70,000 years ago, people make it to Asia, 50,000 years ago to Australia and other areas around this place, Russia, sees an influx about 25,000 years ago, and of course Europe around 40,000 years ago. If you're looking at the, the New World, what we call the New World historically, we're talking somewhere around 15,000 to 12,000 years ago, we start to see huge migration patterns take place there, so kind of a smaller area. We're starting to see uh, civilization really take a growth. So humans show up, and particularly ones in Europe I wanna talk about, because we're gonna be looking at some things that happen in Europe in the next episode. About 40,000 years ago, they showed up and they were just in time because there was an ice age. Now the forests were all turned to savannas, and don't tell Santa, but reindeer were common food. Okay, don't tell him about that. It's something he doesn't need to know. Some things you just keep to yourself. It was a dangerous place to live. Lots of cave bears, massive in size, lions, oversized hyenas, and mammoths that ate about 400 pounds of food. So, although luckily, you know, they were vegan. But the humans weren't alone. Our distant cousins had been in Europe and Middle East for quite some time. In fact, they'd already been there for thousands of years. Just as we are showing up, they're starting to die out. Now, what are they like? Well, for one thing, they're shorter than our ancestors, and their bones are bigger and stouter, which means that they would be a liability on the wrestling team because a bear hug from one of these guys could, and most likely would, break your back. So not a good thing. But they had a lot of extra muscles that ran from the arm to the back, which would have meant they would have been great throwers for your little league and nobody would have ever hit a ball coming from one of these guys, seriously. And about 250 pounds probably would have felt like nothing to them because they had such strong bodies and strong arms and backs. 
Now there are a lot of anatomical differences when we start talking about this species. Um, they have orbitals around the eyes that are kind of similar to what we saw in some of the other species, that is this big bone dentition that sticks out, right? They have a slope, more sloping forehead, and the back of their head they had an elongated bun. They may or may not have been able to speak. There seems to be some evidence to suggest that they couldn't. I'm not sure I'm buying that. At least they may have had some type of primitive language, but who's to know? Like, really, I wasn't there, so we're just taking a guess. And the general body structure suggests that there was, some, there was a lot of differences, but they also had a lot in common. For one thing, their life was very, very hard. And they, like our ancestors, many of them died around the age of 30. In fact, the examination of their bones showed numerous cracks and injuries inflicted on them that resembles that of a rodeo cowboy. So was there some rodeos going on? Yeah, it's possible. Who knows, right? And they might have made some of the art that we find in caves. This could be the work of Neanderthals, although there's some doubt about that. Now, what caused them to go extinct? Something of a riddle. Did humans kill them? Were disease brought by other humans, or was they just not fit to survive? Or maybe they were bred out by Homo sapiens. By the early Mousterian period, Neanderthals are disappearing rapidly. Now, this is a story about how humans came to be. Now, of course, there's lots of different stories. And if you have a religious story, keep your religious story. You don't have to change anything. I'm telling you what science thinks. I'm telling you what history thinks. But it's up to you to decide whether you think that story is true or not. I happen to think there's a lot there uh, that can be gleaned. But that's up to you to decide. But into the bleak story that we've been looking at, humans start to flourish. And a new human idea begins to take shape. Humans start to do something they've never done before. They start to make art.